We'll dismiss our school-age kiddos to the back. And as they're going, let me invite you, if you brought a Bible with you or have some kind of app that you would um, open it or turn to, um, we're going to jump around a little bit today, but maybe you could find uh, Genesis uh, chapters 1 and 3, Genesis 1 and 3, and then over in the New Testament, we're going to be in uh, James chapter 3. We... We started a uh, we started a, in our Advent season um, last week. I know many of you were uh, traveling, and some still are traveling here and there, uh, visiting family, all the Christmas parties, all the things that's involved in this season. Um, but we were going to take a deeper look at what it means uh, these these famous Christian Christmas hymns that we sing are so packed with these theological truths and um, just as we were, I mean, just I guess uh, a month ago or five weeks ago as um, my family, we start the tradition of singing Christmas songs the day after Halloween. So November 1st hits, we're jamming on the way to school, all the different Christmas songs. And uh, this joy to the world is what really kind of just captured my mind. It's one of those things that's just iconic, joy to the world. We Remember it, people who don't go to church or have any kind of faith or relationship with God have this phrase, joy to the world, they understand what that means. It's just kind of this iconic thing that sticks with us. And there are many of these that stick with us, you know, just lines from movies or songs. Um, May the force be with you. Just saying that, you kind of know kind of where we're headed with that, right? Or E.T. phone home, anybody? E.T.? No. Samsonite. Sam, Samson, me and Jason. Yeah, this is good. <laughs> Joy of the world. Luke chapter one forty nine. This is Mary's prayer <clears throat> after hearing that uh, she was going to carry the Messiah into the world. She says, "From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name." So I want to talk this morning about this idea of blessing, blessing and cursing, and it's really found all through scripture. I was telling uh, Jason, I think this morning, that I had way too much to preach today. I normally preach about six pages. I was sitting on somewhere 11 or 12, which would have been an hour and a half. Um, You would all just left. So I tried to pare it down, but as I started studying this idea of blessing and cursing, it's just everywhere. And the hymn that we just sang, the Christmas hymn, uh, Joy of the World, and the third stanza that a lot of people don't sing, and it's probably not on your favorite uh, Buble album, is, uh, is this phrase, No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. This idea of blessings and cursing. And this is the message of the gospel. That as far as the curse has spread like a viral outbreak, God is working to bring renewal and blessing and restoration throughout all the worlds. So I want to talk about the power of blessing, a theme you see throughout all of the, uh, really, in, in most every book that I looked at, this idea of blessing and cursing. It's in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, over 500 times uh, throughout Scripture. I want to talk about what blessing is, why we need it, and how do we do it. What is blessing? 
Why do we need blessing and how do we bless other people? I want you to leave fully equipped in the arts in the spiritual gift of blessing other people. This concept of blessing is even within the world. When someone sneezes, we tell random strangers, bless you. If you're ever around uh, my Ellie Joyce, my middle child, um, you can never bless her before she blesses herself. I don't know how she learned this, but as soon as she sneezes, she says, bless me. And before you can get anything else out, she's like blessing, blessing herself. The Old Testament uh, Hebrew word for blessing, there's two of them, barak, which is the definition is like to speak the intention of God and to be happy with where you are. The New Testament uses two words, makarios, which is happiness, the, the word that uh, Jesus used in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are these people, happy are these people. And eulogia, speaking larger or well of, where we would get the word eulogy from. And just as eulogies are tailor-made, so are blessings. Practically speaking, when you bless someone else, we are saying, in essence, may God's full expectation be filled in your life, and we know that God's intentions are good. Just as Jesus would do so many times, blessing after blessing, saying, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly, calling out the best in people's lives. But most people aren't walking in the abundance that Jesus came to bring. Most of the study came from two books, one I read by Dallas Willard, the other one by John Orberg. And to be honest, I, I grew up a little Baptist boy. I had, never, I had never even really heard of this like blessing and cursing throughout all of Scripture. Dallas Willard says it this way, what is blessing? Blessing is the projection of good into the life of another. It isn't just words, it's the actual putting forth of your will for the good of another person. It always involves God, he says, because when you will the good of another person, you realize only God is capable of bringing that. So naturally, we tell people, God bless you. When I was ready to get married, get engaged, um, I saved up my money and bought the best ring a pawn shop would have. I put it in a different setting, though, from a real jeweler, so I'd have a real box. Um, and so I just happened to be in a uh, neighborhood in Monroe where Ashley's dad happened to live, his, her parents. And I just called them on the phone and like, hey, I'm ha I happen to be in the neighborhood. Can I swing by? Of course, they saw through. They knew exactly what I was doing. Ashley was still in school. I was still in school. We were way too young to get married. Yet that's... One of the rituals, I guess, traditions we have is that we would ask for the blessing, the father of the soon-to-be bride, right? And I was so nervous walking in there. And I've told, some, I've told the story before, and stereotypically, he was cleaning his guns, not to intimidate me. That's just, just what her dad does in his free time every night, I think. It's multiple guns. It was not just one. I mean, if he, if he could plan it out any better... The cocked barrel just was kind of like pointing right at my angle there. And I came in with all these pie charts of, you know, I didn't have a really good job. And I thought, I'm going to get a good job and we're going to do all this. And you can imagine how that goes, right? I mean, he had really two options. He could have said, hey, listen, Luke, you're way too young. 
There's no way. I, I like you. You're a nice guy. There's no way I'm going to let you marry. I'm not going to give you the blessing to marry my daughter. And I would have walked out all discouraged and every probably would have still, you know, pursued Ashley and every Thanksgiving and Christmas from there on out would just be so awkward as I didn't get the blessing of my father-in-law right. He brings all his guns. He didn't do that. He did thread me in a couple of different ways, but ultimately he gave me his blessing. Why do we need blessing? And we don't talk about this again very much in our church or really in churches just in general, and I'm not sure really why, but it's so essential to everything else. It should just be part of the rhythm of our life. Just like you don't write eating or going to bed on your to-do list every day, but you do that every day, right? You find time for it because it's part of the rhythm and you know you need it. Look back in Genesis chapter 1. This is the creation story. At the very beginning, when God created everything, it says in verse 28, after he had created mankind, he says, and God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth and subdue it. Look at that word blessing. God had already made everything. He said everything was good, very good, he says, and yet still God blesses them and God blessed them and then told them what his plan for their life would be. I want you to see one thing is that they were blessed before they were ever commissioned to do anything because that's the way the blessing of God works. Before the charge to cultivate the land, before the charge to name the animals or create culture, before all of that was the blessing of God on their lives. And everything they were to do was to come from a place of blessing, not, not working for blessing. And this is how God created us. In every human, there is this need, whether people know it or not, to hear God bless them, to say over their lives, I love you, I'm for you, I see you, I hear you, I've got great plans for you. My likeness is in you, my favor upon you. The human heart is born to carry the blessing of God. But the problem with that, as you probably know, as you read the creation story, was the blessing was not all that existed. I don't know if you've been reading the Jesus Storybook Bible through Advent or whatever your Advent plan is. It's been so rich in my house. Every night afterwards, Ashley and I are looking at each other, tears rolling down our face, like, why don't we do this, you know, every night all year long? The third story you read, the great lie in the Jesus Storybook Bible. Some theologians call it the curse or the fall. What once was just blessing, God's blessing over all creation, now enters the curse. The enemy's plan is always to move us out of, from the blessing of God, to trust in ourselves and our own wisdom, which makes us vulnerable to his attack and influence on our lives. The curse is rejecting and resisting God's intentions and its results and his displeasure and separation from him and our dysfunction and destruction swoops in as the curse is present. You remember the story, right? The serpent shows up and tempts Eve with this phrase, did God really say that? And Eve partook of the forbidden fruit and so did Adam. And basically they said, hey God, thanks for your blessing and getting us this far, but I think we can take it from here. 
We think we can find blessing and purpose apart from you, and they sinned, and everything that's broken in this world can be traced back to that one decision that says, I don't need your blessing anymore, God. I'll find it somewhere else on my own. The curse is this other force that's rooted in sin and self-sufficiency, opposed to God's perfect rule and love for us. After Adam and Eve sinned, the curse is announced. Chapter 3 and verse 14, the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. The curse to the woman is that I will multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you'll bring forth children. Your desire will be contrary to your husband. He'll rule over you. The curse affected work. It affected marriage. It affected Bringing into the world children, raising up children, the curse as it's extended to Adam. It says in verse 17 of chapter 3, and to Adam he said, curse is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. By the sweat of your face, face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. What once was paradise and all blessing now enters the curse And the effects of the curse are seen from there forward. Every place you see sin and dysfunction, you notice the curse rearing its ugly head. It shows up all around us immediately in that first family it shows up. As Adam and Eve hide from God, as they blame other things, it shows up in the hatred between son one and son two, the very first family. curse. Dallas Willard says it this way, there are two great words in the Bible that describe the posture of our souls towards other people. One is to bless, the other is to curse. We are creatures with wills and with every encounter with other people, we will what is good for them or we fail to do so, we will what is bad. We cannot help ourselves, blessing is not just a word, blessing is the projection of good into one another. Maybe you heard some words, phrases from people you loved well or people you didn't know, but yet they lodged like shrapnel in your heart. Have you heard these things growing up? You were an accident. You're ugly. You're fat. You're a loser. You'll never amount to anything. Why can't you be more like your brother? Why can't you be more like your sister? You are just like your father. Just like your mother. So many of these words are thrown out and they lodge again in our spirit like some kind of foreign object. And we can smile on the outside, but on the inside it deeply wounds us. You think about it just for a minute. Think about 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago, you as a child and you heard some negative phrase spoken over you, hurled at you, and yet you remember it today. John Ortberg says, you can curse someone with an eyebrow. You can curse someone with a a shrugged shoulder. I've seen a husband curse a wife by just leaving just the tiniest delay before saying, of course, I love you. The better you know someone, the more subtly and cruelly you can curse them. 
I read about a lady who started a nonprofit, was doing incredible gospel work, just up and to the right. Her organization was growing and influencing, and then all of a sudden it just kind of disappeared. It blew up. A good friend ran into her and asked her what happened that caused the downward spiral of such a promising Christian company. She said, when I was little, my dad used to tell me that I was ugly and that no man was ever going to want me. When I got into college, I realized that I was actually quite attractive and I became very promiscuous. And every time that I was with a man, it was an act of defiance, trying to tell my dad, dad, you were wrong. Another man wanted me. Another wanted me. She said to the one writing the article, You know, if I was really honest, my dad's voice is still the loudest voice in my head. Which voice is the loudest voice in your head? Is it the blessing of God over you, just as God spoke over his son at baptism or in the Mount of Transfiguration? This is my son whom I love. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Or is it the phrase or the words of some curse spoken in haste or in hatred? Which is the loudest voice in your head? The result of the curse is that we get wounded in our spirits and these wounds make us susceptible to the enemy and these lies form together like a web over our wounded soul that just holds us in bondage. I sit with families all the time who go through this incredible struggle or as they leave the church or leave the faith or they have some crazy crisis or they end up in trouble with the law. And I sit down with them and I start to ask, man, what's going on? Where did this start? And as I talk to them, this was not out of nowhere. This thing had been brewing just beneath the surface for years. And if we go back far enough, we could likely connect it to something that was said to them. I began to pray and search my own heart, evaluate my own life. If you know me, I'm a pretty driven person. Might seem chill or relaxed on the outside, but I just can't ever seem to stop or rest or celebrate. Our first couple of years of marriage, Ashley drove her crazy that I would like come to vacation with to-do lists of things that I wanted to do. And I would wake her up to see the sunrise every morning. She said, I don't want to see the sunrise. I want to sleep till dinner. I was just so driven. I just wanted to do and do and do. I noticed this early in my ministry as I would have these staff retreats and we would evaluate each other. And that was what kept coming up in my own life. Well, Luke, you know, you do great work and great ministry, but man, you just seem so driven that you just look over people. I thought that she was crazy for saying that. And then the next person said it. And then the next person, Luke, you're so driven that people feel you don't have time for them, that you don't notice them. It hurts them. And to be real honest with you, that's not my heart for people. I, I, I love people, most people. I do. My drivenness, my pace, my lack of awareness was beginning to hurt other people. And I was praying through this even just a couple weeks ago. And 
asking God, God, what happened in the past? What, what, what lie am I believing from the enemy that had somehow crept into my soul that made me the person that would look over people in order to get something done? Certainly not the way that Jesus lived, absolutely not. What wound is in there? If something hard to kind of just dive in and, and figure out. That's why we promote you going to Christian uh, counselors that can kind of help you navigate, right, into some of those things. My parents always served the Lord. Never once do I remember any such curse from them. No harsh or cutting words that really just kind of attacked me. And then it hit me. It was from a little league coach. I was probably in fifth grade playing little league ball. You're going to think this is so silly, but this is how the enemy works. And I thought I was pretty good, and he didn't. I hit a few home runs that year. It was time for all-stars, and I didn't make the team. I mean, kids who were terrible got picked to be on that team. I remember locking myself in my room for at least a day, maybe a couple days. I took it so hard. I remember the coach calling to try to explain it to me. And I'm not sure what he said, but this is what I heard. Luke, you just didn't have what it takes. I determined in my heart as a little fifth grader, oh, I'll show him. I'll show everyone that I have what it takes. The enemy came alongside me in that wound, that curse, started to reinforce that thing in my life and my heart with so many lies. Determined in my heart that I would show everyone else that I have what it takes. It was a wound in my spirit. I pronounced over me as a kid and it stuck with me much of my ministry was me trying to prove that I did have what it takes we planted this church and other people planted the same time and their church didn't make it and they just kind of gave up and I was like how do you do that how do you not just push through man you got to do it you got to do it you got to you got to keep working at it and I would work for as Ashley even in just ministry I would work for hours upon hours in my life to try to prove to other people that I had what it I had what it takes I remember Claire and Ellie being so little both in diapers Ashley having like I could just picture her with like two armfuls of babies and I was just still working 16 17 hours a day just trying just trying to just and I even had the God card. You know, I would just play the God card all the time. Well, you know, babe, the souls of men and women are on the line here. I got to go to work. It's the God card. I got to go do this. I got I to gotta do it. One time she told me, hey, don't you pull that God card on me. It does not work at home. So true. This stuff gets in our hearts. Below our language, below our confession, below our theology and doctrine are often these wounds from years or decades ago that the enemy uses still with precise, just this precision, right, to paralyze us with fear, to keep us from joy and peace. It's, it's real. Now, the good news of the gospel that we started with, and this is why Christmas is so important, is God coming in the flesh as the great rescuer and the redeemer to expose all the places where the curse is still bringing destruction to remake and renew us with his blessing. 
In Genesis 12, God's talking to Abraham, and he promises Abraham that he would bless him. Genesis 12 and verse 2, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, that word blessing, and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and to him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. This is so powerful. The nation of Israel would one day miss this, that it was through them that the blessing of God was to be carried through the rest of the world. They, they, they turned inward and made it just about themselves. Don't miss this. This is what it means to be the people of God. This, in essence, is what we celebrate at Christmas, that we have received the blessing of God, sonship or daughtership, adopted into God's family, not just for our own selves so that we could eat right at this great table, but so that we could be a blessing to the rest of the world. Our job description is that we would release blessing on all the people of the earth. This became part of the liturgy of the people of Israel, that they had part of their service, worship service, and still have it today. You know how you have the, the fast songs and the slow songs, the preaching and reading of Scripture. They have, they have the receiving of a blessing. Best I understand it, Part of their service, they would stand with their hands open to heaven, remembering all the ways that God had blessed them. And they had a prayer of blessing prayed over them, something like the one you find in Numbers chapter 6, the ironic blessing. You've heard this before. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Our supreme longing as humans is to see the Lord face to face as he shines his smile upon us. That's what's happening in Numbers 6. Calvin writes of this verse in Numbers, Nothing is more desirable for the consummation of our happiness than that we should behold the serene countenance of God. Another theologian comments on this passage saying this, we may take the blessing to ourselves as if our names were inserted into it. Think about it. Our Lord, our God, the creator of all things has, has seen us and he seeks to bless his people. Everything good that comes your way is from his hand. And one day all in Christ will enjoy the splendor of his face. Do not doubt that the Lord desires to bless you and extend that blessing through you to others. Now again, this is most clearly seen in the person of Jesus. He's just going around blessing people. Your sins are forgiven. Your legs are healed. Feeding people, befriending people, just blessing upon blessing was the rhythm of his life. People that no one wanted to interact with, no one wanted to even touch, that he would make a specific, intentional moment with them when he would embrace them or touch them. Jesus came to expose and defang the curse and its effect on our lives. Look at this. I was studying this for a couple weeks. Finished most of the sermon, I guess, two weeks ago. And I came to this passage in Galatians 3. We share an office with uh, Chuck Beveridge on the other side. And I just started like literally just like, exuberant joy. I don't even know what I was singing or shouting, but 
This passage is so powerful. When you, when you look at the pain the curse has caused and its effect in our life and our effect in the world. Now look at what Christ has done for us. Galatians 3, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, we talked about a few minutes ago in Genesis 12, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, that's us, right, all non-Jewish people, that might come to the Gentiles that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Do you see what's happening here? On the cross, Jesus isn't just providing forgiveness for our sins. He is doing that. But he's taking the effect of the curse in the world and exchanging it for the blessing of God being released in our lives. All we had to bring was the curse of sin that had plagued us. We were, we were a body riddled with disease. We were dead. We had nothing to offer back to him. And yet Christ says, you know, that's enough. Just bring to me what you have. Take a step of faith. Trust in me, and then I will give you all the glory and inheritance of heaven. Jesus was punished that we might be forgiven. Jesus was wounded that we might be healed. He was made sin without sinfulness that we may be made right with his righteousness. Jesus died our death that we may share in his life. He became poor without poverty that we might inherit his riches. Jesus bore our shame so that we would receive his glory. He endured rejection so that we might find acceptance with God. He became the curse so that we might inherit the blessing of God. You have any idea how great the blessing of Christ is and what he has secured for us, church? Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. That third verse, no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. That was the result of the, court, the curse. For he comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is fell. So how do we do this? How do we become people of blessing? Orberg, again, in his book, Soul Keeping, says it this way. Blessing and cursing are not compartmentalized Bible words at all. They are simply the two ways we treat people. They are as inescapable as breathing in and breathing out. I'm going to give you two ways real quick that we, we're on the continuum of blessing as God has blessed us. And he's invited us to be part of his family through the death of his son Jesus. We can literally, as we take a step of faith, we can be counted among the family of God. And yet we've been blessed so that we can be a blessing to others. How do we do this? We bless people first through our speech. We say over them with our words or actions God's blessing in their life. We bring attention to the uniqueness of how God has created them, every person in his own image. The book of James warns us about this. A passage we're going to get to in a couple of months. It says in James 3, talking about our tongue, the words we use. With it, we bless the Lord and we bless our Lord and Father. 
And with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Proverbs 12 says it this way, The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing or blessing. So I've been studying this these past few weeks. I realized that unknowingly I had declared curses over my own family. I had used words. Unintentionally, I had created wounds. In moments when I should have poured out blessing, I used harsh words. I had to go on a bit of a repentance tour. Apologizing to my wife. Baby, I'm so sorry for my insecurities that's a result of my sin. And in moments when you needed me to be there emotionally, I wasn't there. When you needed me to be there physically, I wasn't there. I've said harsh things. I ask you to forgive me, and I want to I bless you. And then my daughter, Claire, so much pressure I'd put on her to be grown up so quickly. I've told you the story. I remember my frustration one day. She was probably four or five. And I couldn't communicate to her. And she was, I was trying to say something and she was not interpreting it. I was so frustrated. I don't even know what the situation does. I remember I grabbed both of her hands, looked her in the eyes and said, can't you just be an adult? That doesn't even make sense. Of course she cannot. She's five. I don't want her to be an adult. But the sin in my own heart just kind of just came out. Even as I said the words, my heart just aches. Luke, what have you done? Hudson was probably three. I was taking him. He's in his car seat and he took crayons. Somehow he got crayons and colored all over the back of my seat. I just paid $5 to wash that car, right? Go through the thing, vacuum it. I think I may even paid the extra $5 and got the armor all wipes. No, I'm too cheap for that. I brought those from home, I'm sure. I look back there, so frustrated with these three. I asked him a dozen times, Hudson, why would you do that? Why would you do that? I asked him a dozen times, he just stared at me. We were both in the car yesterday, me, Hud, and Ellie. With tears running down my face. I just had to apologize to them. Ellie and Hudson, is, you remember Dad ever saying harsh words to you? Not discipline. That's something really different. That's not, you're not using flippant words to hurt them. That's what, that's what I had done. Just told them, you know what, your dad, if he's ever said harsh words that really hurt you, I just want to ask for your forgiveness. And I just want to just tell you, your dad wants to bless you. God has created you for such incredible things. And I want, my, I want the blessing of God to come through your dad in such a way that when, when you meet God face to face, he's familiar because you've seen his likeness in, in, in dad. Church, what kind of repentance tour do you need to go on? 
who have you been harsh with or lack compassion for? Maybe it's your kids, co-workers, a spouse. Men, what about your wives? Are they thriving? Is that because of you or in spite of you? Wives, have you said some things to your husband that cut him to the core like shrapnel lodged in his soul? He probably blew it off and just kept going, never even said anything about it, but they're still there. What about your extended family, your mom, or your dad, or your in-laws? Be lashed out in anger with harsh words. Listen, this is not an easy task to figure it out first, to pray as David prayed, oh Lord, would you search my heart? It's not easy to do that and to write these things actually down, and it's harder to actually go to the people. This can be the hardest thing that you'll ever do because the enemy will always resist reconciliation, always. It takes supernatural courage to do this. Instead of using harsh words that hurt people, we should use our words as a blessing. My dad was so good at this, especially in his last 10 years of his life. He would just bless and bless. We moved here to plant the church, and I got to spend every Friday with him working on his old house. We would have lunch and have many conversations, and he would just bless and bless and bless. He would bless people that weren't even with him. He would bless my siblings, Lydia and Layton, and he would just talk about how gifted they were. And my mom, he would bless Jason all the time. Like, Dad, what do you see in Jason? I mean, you just... Blessing upon blessing. A guy named Brad helped us start our church years and years ago, and then Brad got called to go help start another ministry. And I was so mad at Brad that he would leave us and what we were doing. I was so angry, and I was trying to deal with this, because, again, this is like affecting what we're going to accomplish as a church. I was complaining to my dad. He was the worst person to complain to. He was always asking us, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? I don't care what the Bible says, Dad. This guy's a loser. He's, he left me. I remember he wouldn't join me in my pity party. He would just start blessing other people. He did that even in that case. He said, you know what? Look, you don't know what God calls people to. You should just be a blessing to them. My Uncle Chip did this too. Some of you have met him, my mom's younger brother. He was a teacher and pawn shop owner and yet had this evangelism ministry on the side. It was the weirdest thing. The dude had a mullet. Uh, yet he's such a blessing to me. Gave me my first real speaking opportunity. Just believed in me. It was terrible. I did such a terrible job. I remember heresy all through my message. And afterwards, he just picked out the one or two things I did well, and he just said, man, you got a gift, Luke. Just bless me. There's people in your life that God has sent you to be a blessing to. The other way that we do this is bless people through our words, but the other way that we do this is just by noticing them. 
Have you ever noticed that Jesus does some of his most profound miracles with people that everyone else overlooks? The hero of his parable was the were people who shouldn't, shouldn't be there. They were Samaritans. They were Gentiles. Jesus himself spending tireless hours with the woman at the well. The lady caught in adultery, Zacchaeus, Mary, on and on. The group of vagabonds that followed him around were people that most of us would have blown past. We didn't have time for them. But not Jesus. He just touched them and cared for them and loved them well. I heard Dallas Willard once say, the kind of people that Jesus looked for and spent time with were those who would hang around a Greyhound station in our world today. Whoa. People that don't seem to bring value or notoriety to many places, Jesus noticed them and he loved them. I heard Bob Goff give a talk one time wrote a book called Love Does. It's just this guy that's, I mean, such a character. He's just so infectious with hope. He makes little medals at home, and then he pins them on people as he hears what they're doing. He just blesses them. I heard him give a talk called Be Where Your Feet Are, which is probably something that we should frame and put in our homes. Be where your feet are. Anyway, he tells a story with great humility about as he started speaking at these different events that the cars that came and picked him up to go to these different speaking, Christian speaking events got nicer and nicer. You know, first they would send a taxi and then all of a sudden there's this limo there, right? And he gets in the back of this limo and being just the guy that he is, you know, there's a little thing that divides the driver from the rest of it. He just knocked on it and the driver opened up and said, okay, what do you need? And he started just asking this guy, Questions. Well, tell me, tell me, how did you become a limo driver? And, you know, what got you into this? And what do you like about it? And just asking him all these questions. And then come to find out this guy was just working extra hours and he was working so hard just to provide for his family. And Bob's a, a lawyer by trade. And he said, you know what? You know, I'm a lawyer and I got plenty of money. This is okay. Would you just pull the car over real quick? He pulled the car over and he said, hey, I want to drive and I want you to sit in the back. And the driver's like, no, I couldn't do that. I've never been in the back. And he's like, no, 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 I insist. Listen, again, I'm a lawyer. I got tons of money. It's all going to be okay. Once you get in the back, he put his little, little driver hat on. Bob did. and got in the front. Got to the destination. Got out and just blessed the man. He said, man, from everything I hear from you, you're the one that should be treated with honor today, not me. You're working so hard for your family. At the hotel they were at, he got out and he pinned a little medal on the guy. Just noticing people. I've already confessed that I'm terrible about this. You bless people by noticing them, and most of us fail to notice other people really because of two reasons, and I'm going to be done. Our hurried schedule, we're just in too much of a hurry to notice a woman at a well. We're too much in a hurry to leave what we're doing lady with the issue of blood and stop we've got important work to do God we can't stop and notice all these people our hurried schedule and then the devices that are in our hands again I got to be honest with you this is the overflow of my own conviction if this doesn't land it's just for me this is free therapy for me thank you 
I was reading a book called TechWise by Andy Crouch. He's a brilliant guy. He's done some incredible research on how technology is impacting families. This is one of the stats that blew me away. In his research, he says, we asked teens, what's the one thing they would change in their relationship with their parents? And their number one answer overwhelmingly is they wish their parents would spend less time on their phones and more time talking with them. Hmm. He says, a quote from him in the book, we find ourselves in relation to others, especially in the primary formative context of the family. And the earlier and to the greater extent that we introduce the smartphone into that, the more you disrupt that process of knowing and being known. There's a lot of things here. I want to pray for you. Would you steal your heart just for a moment? Would you ask the Holy Spirit what he's directly speaking to you about? This is an invitation partly to slow down, to put your devices away more and more, to bless others with your attention, certainly with your words. Maybe you need to go on some sort of repentance tour of your own. Maybe you don't even know how to stop and receive the blessing of God. Because of your own experience and because of the hurt in your own heart, you don't even know how to let God love you. Maybe today would be a day that you open up your heart to him. Some of you in here probably don't know Jesus as the Lord and Savior. Today would be an invitation for you to take a step of faith, to trust him with your whole heart. Christmas song says, joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king. God, I thank you for your incredible love for us. And then when the ideal is lacking, your grace abounds. And that you yourself lead us to repentance through kindness. It's your kindness. We've all got some room to grow here. Lord, over the next few minutes as we're praying, taking communion in just a minute, maybe after the service, around the lunch table, later even today, that that you would help us remember words we said in haste, harsh words that the enemy used to multiply, to cause a wound in the hearts of people that we normally love the most. I pray as we walk in obedience, confess these things to them and to you, that you would bring healing. Lord, I help, just as a prayer of confession, Lord, I pray that we would all learn to slow down and notice people around us. People made in your likeness, who you've sent in our path that we would extend your blessing through us and unto them. 
We would find ways even this week just to love people well. To divert our plans to go buy them lunch. To put our arms around them. To offer a prayer of blessing over them. Just to remind them that God sees them and loves them. I pray you do in our hearts what only you can do. It's in your mighty name that we pray, amen. I'm going to give you plenty of time to continue praying. and We're going to sing in just a minute. Our communion servers are here. One of my prayers for us is that every time that we sing joy to the world, we remember this idea of blessing and cursing. And certainly every time that we take communion, we remember the blessing that Jesus was for us as he gave up his body so that we could have eternal life. You don't have to be a member of our church to partake. You just take the bread and dip in the cup and partake of it. Scripture does says this is for people who are in God's family. So if that's you, I encourage you to come. Me and some of the prayer team will be in the back. If you'd like to pray, if you'd like to pray for courage as you go on this repentance tour, if you want to become part of God's family today and take a step of faith, maybe you've got a festering wound, you can't forgive someone, we'd love to pray for you. You come when you're ready.